Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is currently the Director of Creative Strategy for the Art of Coaching. Prior to joining the Art of Coaching, she was the Associate Sports Performance Coach for Stanford Women's Basketball and Golf. Prior to that, she also spent time at the University of Kansas, where she was the Assistant sports performance coach to many of the women's programs and received her master's degree in exercise physiology. She was also a student athlete herself playing soccer at Duke University. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Allie Kirshner. Allie, how are you today? I'm great, Tyler. How are you? I am well. I uh, wanted to start off. I'm excited to have you on the show, um, but preparation is important. And in preparing for this show, I found out that you like coffee. So I want to know how you like your coffee. Oh, man, what a what a good question to start with. I, uh, I actually don't have a cup with me, which is a huge <laughs> miss on my part. But, um, uh, you know, it kind of depends where I'm at, right? Like, sure. I'm a very context- uh, influenced person in the sense of like, if I'm at a nice coffee shop with good coffee, I'm just going to have it black. Um, as a, you know, sure. it feels right. doesn't feel right to like, yeah. you know, doctor that up with a bunch of cream and sugar. Um, if it's some Folgers, I might, you know, have to, you know, give it a little, give it a little help. So, uh, but like my, my daily routine is honestly just some, uh, some drip coffee. I make a big old pot in the morning. Um, if I'm feeling fancy, I might do a French press, but Yeah, I'm kind of sipping all day long, so I, you know, I gotta can't go too strong, you know. I mean, caffeine and coaching, kind of, you know, usually there's some parallels. Hand in hand, hand. Actually, Uh, my first, my first mentor um, at Kansas, uh, he, one of my first days on the job, we went upstairs to where the the coffee pot is for the whole staff, and I start, you know, putting cream and sugar in my coffee, and he looked at me and he's like, "Yeah, we don't do that here." yeah yeah and so i i started drinking it black from there on out <laughs> there you go well then you start to like well what is, what's in the cream and sugar you get trustworthy you know like all right maybe they're telling me something right right uh, right <laughs> well uh also wanted to dive into before we talk about your work and some of the things you do now you're a student athlete um and as you kind of like reflect back on your time as a student athlete what were some of those key things that maybe led you to do the work that you do now or or things that you took away that you valued and wanted to emphasize more with other athletes? Yeah, I, I think it starts with, um, you know, in high school, I was at, at the, you know, I was on varsity as a freshman and um, I think was able to demonstrate, you know, an, an ability um, pretty early on. And I think, um, especially being tall in my sport as a goalkeeper, um, you know, I was, I was able to compete at a very high level in high school and, um, in club and was one of the best. Right. And, and then you get to college and you're like, Oh, (laughs) everyone is that good and better. Um, and, uh, you know, especially being a goalkeeper, there are, well, there's only one of you. It's like being a quarterback and, um, I was both fortunate and not fortunate to be on a team with four goalkeepers, um, one or two of which were all Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it was incredible because I got to learn from them. But it was also hard because I didn't see a whole lot of playing time in my really until my junior year. Um, And so I had to really find other places to uh, hone my craft and, and find success because I wasn't able to see a direct translation between practice and effort in that arena translate to the field and playing time. So, you know, that's where the weight room really became a focus of mine and ultimately led to me being a strength coach. Yeah. I think there's uh we'll kind of get into it, I guess a little bit later, but what kind of led you from that strength coach into some of the things you do with art of coaching and the mental skills and kind of moving, mm. I guess, I'm sure, you, you know, integrating more of maybe the mental and yeah. spiritual kind of leadership things into yeah. the physical things that you're coaching. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, it's hard to even trace back where it started, but I had always had some weird affinity for the relationship side of coaching and sport. And I mean, it's not, I guess it's not weird. I had incredible coaches growing up and uh, I'm sure they, they fostered that in me. Um, when I was a strength coach, I, I knew that the way that I could best differentiate myself was not through knowing the science more or building better programs because really at a certain extent everyone can do that and you can also take a decent you can take a uh, an average program and make it great through your coaching right so i was like yeah. okay well what's that special sauce in the coaching realm that's going to make it different and i i found that through the relationship building through the mental skills through the um developing of trust and communication with the athletes and i was like okay there's something here and um, I really started to dive into that. I dove into it with my my master's thesis where I looked at um, the effect of internal and external cueing mm, on okay. vertical jump performance. Right. And so like the more of the psychological aspect of performance. And then I was like, oh, the, the, man, I'm really starting to pull on a thread here. And, and that led me to communication and more of the leadership side of things, um, which is, you know, sort of a natural progression into my current role, which is teaching now coaches how to better coach how to better lead through some of those same principles cool cool master's thesis what'd you find out what were some key things that also kind of like made you smile like you're doing right now (laughs) yeah yeah um the first thing was i was incredibly lucky so at the university of kansas we have a really great relationship with uh the weight room and the exercise science department um and and my advisor was like Hey, can we use some of your athletes, you know, or would you be interested in using some of your athletes for your thesis? And I was like, I would love to do that. Um, and so I, I got the sign off from the the baseball, her head baseball coach, um, who, uh, deserves a lot of credit because here I was like, Hey, can I use some of our athletes for some testing? And it was in the middle of the season and looking back on it, I'm like, I don't know how he let me do that, but <laughs> I was able to take our entire baseball roster, which is like what 50 guys and um, bring them into the lab and have them jump on a force plate. Um, and I would give them a set of instructions that in, you know, instructed them to focus on their body or their internal self. And then I would give them a little break. Um, and then I would do, I would instruct them with a different set of instructions that focus more on the environment, pushing the ground away. And, you know, obviously it was counterbalanced. So some people heard the other set of instructions first, et cetera. Um, And what we found was that the external cueing, using the environment and and having them focus on that led to greater takeoff velocity, uh, 
power output and a couple other really interesting variables. And mm. <laughs> somehow it was also st statistically significant, which is um, not something you always find when you're a, a master's student and you're, yeah. you know, dabbling into research. So that was really cool. That That is cool. Cause I'm, I'm big on visualization and imagery. And I think, you know, that kind of begins that process of creating external cues before you go compete. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think that's just fascinating to me to hear, kind of hear, just see that, that, you know, what you saw and just some of those environmental things, because we do tend to focus on I, me and sports mm -hmm. sometimes uh, to the detriment of most at, at times. But uh, what is it about, I think from, I played college football and I think great relationship with strength coaches in that process. They really almost get to, you spend more time with them than you do your other coaches. Um, and I also think my experience interviewing uh, quite a few of them is they have this knack and knowledge, not all, but that the relationship is going to drive performance. And if I want to get you to power clean the most or squat this or jump off a plate, I, I got to get everything out of you. And I think some strength coaches do a great job of doing that, but it does take like what fascinated me with the art of coaching was the archetypes that Brett discusses. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, there's so I just, you know, every athlete I knew popped into something. Right. Yeah, um, right. But can you talk about why being relationship driven can help us as coaches get the most out of others. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, um, I look back on my own time as an athlete and I think that's, <laughs> um, it, there's a real power in having been on both sides of it. Right. Because then you really understand, okay, what would I have not needed in that moment? Um, and it's just the difference between a transactional and a, you know, uh, you know, interaction with somebody like you meet at the supermarket and you're like, all right, you know, we're just doing business here or you just need something and, and you're, it's an exchange of services. Um, and that that's effective in that context. But if you really want, like you said, the best out of people, um, you need them to tap into something that's beyond surface level. And that requires a certain amount of trust, like without yeah. trust, yeah. nothing is accomplished because why, why would I push myself past what I'm comfortable doing? Um, which is oftentimes what we're experiencing in the weight room. And it's not just heavy load. Many times individuals that I would coach had negative experiences with weight rooms in the past, or they yeah. associated it with um, being, you know, being sore and that taking away from their sport, or they associated it with punishment. Um, and I think, mm -hmm. honestly, that's one of the biggest uh, hurdles that we're trying to overcome. And, and the only way you can do that is if they trust you first as a person that you're not going to do further damage to them. Yeah, I think it's coaches, we talk a lot about got to get in the discomfort and got to be vulnerable. And it's like, yeah, we do. But if you're coaching them, let's be pushing them from the trust part. <laughs> let's be, you know, that's yeah. where we're, we're, we're coming from, so to speak. And, um, and, and on that point too, uh, Tyler, I think the biggest thing that I didn't know as a young coach that I learned um, is that that trust requires some self-disclosure on your part as a coach. Mm -hmm. And I think where I had a difficulty with that is that you know, you're taught like, Hey, you, you have to be really professional. You're not friends with these athletes. Like, you know, there can be no ambiguity there because they can't see you as one of them. Right? Like you're the coach, you're the authority figure there. You're, and that was particularly difficult because I started as a GA and I was actually younger than some of my, yeah. my athletes. But, um, so, so I put up this wall, this barrier of like, I'm not going to share anything about myself. I'm, I'm just here to do my job. And, 
um, because of that, I, I really struggled to create that true trust um, mm-hmm. early on. But later on, I was like, okay, I don't have to share, you know, like what goes on in my my day to day personal life to still share something about myself that's going to allow them to feel like I'm I'm a person, I'm a human, I'm not just some robot. Sure, I think there's. Uh... I see you see this in young coaches too. I think I think sometimes almost it pre- presents hesitancy for some people to go venture into coaching is they get told when you're in that you're just older than these kids, you're a GA environment, don't be their friend. Right? I think we hear yeah. that a lot and it, it kind of is like I'm like, well, don't be their friend, but I need to develop this relationship of trust where we're going to go grow and push and chat like Yeah okay, I don't want to be their bestie. I don't have to talk about my dates last night, but yeah. but I can tell them what I've learned through my experiences with others. For sure. Y- you know, and I think, can you talk about maybe how you, you broke out of that and how you found the right balance of being relational and being able to drive performance? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think subconsciously I had started to develop this process, but then I met Brett and I think he really helped me um, think about it in a sort of more of a framework perspective, which I think can be helpful to others, um, sure. which is this idea of the three R's, which I think he talks about in his book, uh, research, relate, reframe. And the there is no buy-in, there's no trust, there's no relationship building without this, but it's also just a really great way to do it if you've uh, if you're like, I don't know where to start. Like, I really don't know where to start creating relationships or how to share about myself without oversharing, uh, like we've talked about. And the research phase is easy, right? Like, if you walk around before a session, after a session, um, you know, you you travel with these teams. Like, I was literally on the road with our basketball team. Um, I got to see all of the weird quirks, right? But every time I, I saw something that was a human element of them, I wrote that down on my phone. Like, Hey, this person has a brother who's interested in robotics, or uh, this individual uh, has a a mom who loves to bake. Like I, I know that seems kind of tangential, and like how could that possibly help me? But this is starting to form this this bigger picture, and and you know over the course of months, now I have this whole log of details that matter to this person, and so that then takes you into the relate phase, which is where you know, organically, you find moments to take something that you've learned about this individual and you relate to them on that aspect. So I also love baking. So I might say like, hey, I remember you said your mom loves baking. Do you have a recipe for snickerdoodle cookies? I love snickerdoodles. So instantly, self-disclosure, something about me. I remembered something about you that shows the callback, the memory that was actually listening. And then in that moment, after we have that conversation, I can then reframe my messaging of what I'm asking them to do or even just how I'm interacting with them in terms that they understand or in, you know, without using jargon that's coach speak. Um, and I think there's it seems so small, but like there's so much power in that. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it you can build a pattern off that. I mean, right. Just. Yeah, they reciprocate. And I think, right. you know, they learn about just like you said, they learn you like snickerdoodles. So, you know, when you help them reach a new PR and vertical jump, maybe they're going to bring you the best ones in town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. You know, like, you know. So um, I literally had written down the three R's as another question. So thanks for kind of uh, yeah. addressing that. Um, sure. You know, and uh, I, I, you know, talked about your smile and you, you 
talked about your master's thesis, but what brings you the most joy in what you do What today mm-hmm. in coaching? I think it's um, seeing someone accomplish something that they haven't been able to grasp before. Um, you know, whether that was working with athletes, something as simple as like, I will literally never forget the time that I was working with this baseball player and uh, he was going to do a, a, a clean, right? Like an Olympic lift. And yep. uh, I just couldn't couldn't get the the transfer of the bar and the elbows underneath and it's very technical right and um like still in my mind is this image of him doing it turning to me and like the joy and excitement in his eyes when he did that I was like that was freaking awesome um and then now in my current my current role um obviously I'm I'm coaching coaches and and we're doing a lot more um especially in person with using improv and tackling hard yeah. conversations and putting people in the pressure cooker and seeing how they they work their way out of hard interpersonal situations. And when they say like, oh my God, like that felt like real life. And like, I feel like I now have tools to overcome that. Like that's, that's not just like impacting somebody today. Like that's impacting somebody for the rest of their yeah. life. Yeah. I think I'm sure sure you've heard this too so many times when you're in coaching environments but the conversations before after talk about how we're using these things outside of coaching environments with our family or you know other other things i hear people and myself too i'm like i'm glad i learned this tool before i got married and had kids you know right catch myself once in a while and i'm like yeah that was glad good i had that before (laughs) Um, well it was so interesting though is um you know we have these workshops all over the now all over the world and you know most people come in with all right i want to work on this because you know it's work related right like i need mm-hmm. to better relate to my athletes or i i, I have a difficult boss or <laughs> i want to get a raise or yeah. they have something and that's that honorable right like yeah of course like you should want to get better at that um yeah. but it takes one person at our workshops to open up about something real and then the floodgates open uh-huh. and suddenly people are like yeah, I need to tell my partner that I don't want to have kids or I have a mom who has dementia and I don't know how to communicate with her. And then you're like, oh, this got really real. And then like, yes, it is work stuff is real, but like we all can relate on this human level that's so far beyond that. Um, And those are the really special moments that we get to witness. I was going to say, as I listened to you answer that at the beginning, I was like, yeah, there's great self-awareness of, yeah, I need to work on this. But when you actually take the courage to go do it, you can actually yeah. uncover so much more than just the thing you went for. And I think, 100%. I know you guys do a great job of that um, at Art of Coaching. And I love how you guys use improv because I love using improv games with kids um, so to get good. them to kind of connect and, and think, even though I like I'm always nervous when I'm in. Oh, hundred percent. I I fail. Like, it's so funny. Like I'm the person who needs improv the most. Um, I'm like, so such a perfect perfectionist. Like I rehearse and overthink. And, um, that's, I think that's why working with Brett and, and doing what I do now is like the best possible thing I could possibly be doing. Because like you, I'm like, well, this could go really well, (laughs) or I could absolutely burn like a dumpster fire. I think, yeah. As a kid, I just remember being told so many times, think before you speak and don't blurt stuff out. 
Right. And, and there's the a reason opposite. they told me that maybe as a kid because of what it was coming yeah. out. So I'm like, now you're putting me in an environment where I should yeah. blurt stuff out. Yeah. Like I, all right. Um, don't yes. tell my fifth grade teacher. But, yeah. <laughs> so, um, exactly. What do you, I was going to ask when you talk about relationship building and I think the student athlete environment, uh, especially that, that a lot of listeners, high school and student and college on this, where do you see the role uh, of social media and when it comes mm -hmm. to relationship building and remaining again, the, the professionalism in the relationship. Um, but I have found it when approached the right way, I've been able to find out the snickerdoodle stuff. I've been able to ask, they ask questions about what I was cooking or, or something. Yeah. Where do you see that kind of balance in place? Oh man. <laughs> Interesting question. Um, uh, of course. Yeah. Like you said, like there are some beautiful, uh, absolutely, you know, irreplaceable things that social media give us, which is like really like a, a lens into people's lives that you would never get otherwise. Like if people like ask me on the, you know, that I've met once or twice, like, oh, how's your dog? And I'm like, well, that's because I only post about my dog. Right. And like, you know, they get to see these intimate moments in my life that I choose to share, obviously. Um, but I think it really does kind of give you a behind the scenes look often at like who somebody really is and what they care about and what they, it, it can be somewhat superficial, but also, you know, somewhat accurate depiction of what they want you to see. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like you said, like you can create connection. Like, uh, I, I've met so many coaches and people that I would never meet in person through social media. Um, and had some really incredible conversations. And even like one of my best friends truly uh, is somebody I met during the pandemic virtually, right? That's like, awesome. that's awesome. Um, and, and she's somebody you should definitely have on your podcast. That's right. uh, Molly Benetti at South Carolina. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so there's some great aspects of it, but I think like anything, um, <laughs> too much of anything is not great. Right. And I think, um, as you know, like we don't need to espouse on the the difficulties that of social side. media, but <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree. Like it, as a tool, absolutely something that that coaches should not shy away from. The same way that you know they they shouldn't shy away from, um, you know, we're we're talking about this like Chat GPT AI mm -hmm. revolution, mm -hmm. and like teachers teachers are rightfully you know like reticent about what this is going to do because you know students are just typing in write me an essay, right? And it spits out a five paragraph essay. But instead of looking at that as a bad thing, like how can we, what are the positives that this brings? So same thing as with social media. Like what are the positives that that brings? Yeah, yeah. that's, uh, yeah, totally. I know I had someone show me some of the AI and how it would help me in some of the things I do. And I was blown away in five minutes. I was like, oh, that's a time saver, but. Right, no like, time saver. And that's just, the thing is like. Simple copywriting. Right, right. And if you can look at it that way, it's like, okay. Yeah. Is this going to take away jobs? Sure. Like, is this going to like change the way that we have to think about school? And yeah, absolutely. Is that a bad thing? Maybe not. Like it saves people time. Maybe they can find ways to spend more time with their families because they don't have to, you know, write a, you know, show notes for an episode or whatever. So um, I think there's, there's always good with the bad. Definitely. I kind of came through school right at that age of like, there's computers and printers, but some teachers still wanted us to handwrite five yep, pages. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. I, I still learned cursive, Tyler. So yeah, you know, they, which I always wonder, they stopped teaching a lot of that. And in the sports world, I'm like, what are autographs going to look like someday? Yeah, yeah, right. 
you know, I guess it'll just be your handle, right? You just sign That's your Twitter. so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, for sure. Uh, you know, I see people, you know, just made a thought in sports. So what are autographs? You know, no cursing. But um, along your journey, I know you talked about Brett and uh, mentioned a, a good friend that you mm -hmm. kind of struck up a, a relationship with. But um, is there any other mentors or coaches that really kind of stuck out or um, maybe stuck out their neck out for you to believe in you and, and got you to where, where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I would say, you know, I, I guess I'm maybe not non-traditional in the sense that I, I really do believe every single coach I've ever worked with or even leader has been a mentor to me in some form or facet, young, old intern, you know, uh, well-established in their career because a mentor to me is somebody who has taught me something. Yeah. Um, However, I will say uh, one stands out, you know, amongst the rest, which is uh, somebody you've had on your podcast, which is Andrea Hootie. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough. She plucked me um, up, you know, from uh, from my basically nothing. I was yeah, an undergrad and um, had like a semester of experience in the weight room. And she was like, come come be a graduate assistant at Kansas. So. That's I was awesome. beyond fortunate to have that experience um, with her at Kansas for almost five years. And so she's really like a second mom to me and, uh, in a lot of ways. And that's so cool. Um, you know, obviously, you know, because you've you've talked to her, but she just what a pioneer for not just female coaches, but all yeah. coaches in the yeah. space. And getting to learn from her is like, OK, well, I, I see no other way to do it. So I guess I just like, you know, you have have this is the way to do this is the way right yeah so. I, I think and I, i've had her on the podcast i've never been in the weight room with her you know like you have yeah. and i think um was there anything that you kind of learned from her how you saw you know when it came to the relationship side oh um, my god yeah because i know she's pretty good at it herself <laughs> um incredible what what were maybe some things that you learned from andrea in that aspect yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's two sides of her. There's the coach side of her and there's, um, you, the, the leader and the, the mentor side of her, which are very intertwined obviously. But, um, you know, I saw both. The one was, you know, when I first started, I wasn't getting paid very much and, you know, and I was like, I don't know what, like I, I was 22 at the time. Right. And, um, she was like, well, um, like come over for dinner. And she like, you know, like anytime you need to stay with us, like you can stay in my basement. Like, um, she gave us odd jobs to do with like, we needed to make more money just because like we need help. She truly would give the shirt off her back for her people. I've never met somebody more loyal and fiercely loyal than her. Um, and that obviously carries over into her, her coaching and, uh, you know, they, the athletes would affectionately call her mom. And I do really think that, um, she had that type of relationship with them. Like she, they, she loved them and they loved her. And yet your mom expects nothing but the best and will tolerate nothing but your best. And so, you know, I've, I've seen everything from. I, she definitely, and just my like recording a podcast with her, yeah. like that was one of my takeaways was that after the podcast, I didn't want to let her down. <laughs> yeah but i felt like if i did she'd still be cool with me <laughs> yes yeah absolutely like, like it was this quality about the conversation that i was like man she's got to be magical as a coach and things so um as you kind of wrap up one more question uh if i could get you to jump into a time machine of sorts mm. and go visit 16 year old Allie, um 
what's one piece of advice that you've learned along your coaching journey that you'd want to tell your teenage self? Yeah. Um, I think this is something that I've really reflected on a lot recently, which is get around as many different styles of coaches as possible and learn from everyone. Um, and you know, don't, decide or pigeonhole yourself on one path or one style of coaching or one, you know, a, a version of yourself uh, too early on, right? Like, and and really never, they, I yeah. think that we're constantly iterating and, um, you know, it's like the iPhone, like update, you know, 13.11, right? Like yeah. the, you should, you should have that mindset when it comes to your coaching and your, your style. And I think, Early on, I I saw, like I said, like it was good with the bad. Like I saw Hootie style and I was like trying to emulate that specifically. And Hootie style works for Hootie and yeah. it doesn't necessarily work for me like the, in the same way. Right. So like, what can I take from her? What can I take from Luke, who was my office mate? What can I take from Brett, who I now work with and, you know, not try to be them, but take the best parts of them um, that work for me. And I, I think that's what I would tell myself is is just stay adaptable and stay um, learning from as many people as you can because that's how you will get closer to your true self. Mm -hmm.